You're listening to ASD Warrior, a podcast about the journey of getting your PhD in your child on the spectrum. With over a decade of success and challenges, it's time to share and support all of you ASD Warriors. Hosted by your always passionate and wildly intense ASD Warrior teacher, child advocate, and mom, Kathy Galbraith Willoughby. Today on ASD Warrior, we have someone amazing on the call to both myself, my family, and hopefully you by the end of this, Joel Bosserman. He spent the last 12 years working with our kids on the spectrum, got his undergrad in psychology and sociology, later his master's in human behavior, as well as his BCBA. His commitment, his strength, his intuition has all played into his success and what he's been able to do for our kids. And especially now with distance learning being such a struggle for some families, I wanted him on here to talk about what we think would be the best approach, behavior plan, and strategy. You don't want to miss. Stay tuned. ASD Warrior, this is Kathy. And today, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking to Joel Bosserman. Besides being someone that has been in the industry since 2008, he is someone that touched our lives so long ago um, in becoming part of our village as we navigated this journey with Nathan. Joel has so much experience working with kids one-on-one in school districts, in ABA therapy at home, and has really kind of landed on this career like a lot of us in 2008 where we were trying to figure out where we're all going to land and how we're going to make it through this transition. He landed in this space working with kids on the spectrum. And we are very fortunate and blessed that he did. And so the reason why I wanted to chat with him today is because a lot of these things that are going on with COVID right now and distance learning really impact our kids so significantly. Sometimes I think in a lot of ways, much more than your neurotypical children, they need a lot more. And sometimes filling that gap is really, really hard in a distance set environment. And so from our conversation we had earlier this week, we really landed on maybe a good place to start. And so I wanted to, one, say thank you, Joel, for being with us today, and to kind of secondly open it up to, you know, what kind of we talked about and talking about how we maybe transition and look at this transition right now in COVID-19 and how we can support better distance learning. Yeah, so we we had talked about how it's, um, it's really a different time for families and not just families, for students, for everyone, for schools, everyone involved. We have, and just like anytime we have something that occurs that changes our way of life or changes big things in our lives, we have an opportunity to look at it one of two ways. We can either look at it as something major that's changed that's going to be an impact and we can just look at all the difficulties that we have ahead of us. Or we can look at it as an opportunity to change and improve our own situations. This kind of environment, this distance learning that has happened for some kids has actually helped some kids, while others, it's been more difficult. And so we have to look at each kid individually here. And I think especially now, we really have to look at individual education plans as truly individual, because there are some kids who can sit in front of a screen and pay very close attention. There are others who won't even sit down because they're not used to that at home. This isn't the place that I do my schooling. This is the place that I play. And so we really do have to look at each student individually and ask the question, you know, what do they need? How can we best support them? 
I agree. I think that one of the things that we talked about and um, that to piggyback off of what Joel was saying is that, you know, you are putting them in an environment right now in their home where that's kind of their place where they get to let go. Right. They get to maybe run around and do their stimming or jump on the trampoline. And now we're asking them to kind of conform to in, in a in a very more structured way so that we can get them to that next level. And we can really kind of educate, work on behaviors, all those things that used to be done somewhere else. We now have to do at home. And so this is really kind of requiring us to almost look at a behavior support plan that starts in the house, wouldn't you say? Yeah, exactly. And in fact, behavior support plans, the format for them are actually a great format for any behavior change that any person wants at all in their life. And I think that that's a great tool that we as parents can also use for ourselves. The first thing that we really want to look at when we're uh, looking to change behavior is we want to really look at Number one, what is the behavior that we need to change? And for some kids, it's getting them to sit, getting them to participate. Others, it might be just getting fine tuning some things. But also for us as parents, what behaviors do we have to change now to be able to support that? And I think one of the best ways to start with that is really what most IEP meetings open up with, is, which is a question of strengths and interests. What are the strengths that your child has? What is he or she really interested in? And then also ask the question, what are your strengths and what are your interests? Because as a parent, you can use those and any overlap between those and your child's strengths and interests to really help support them. You know, and that's such a good point. And I don't even think we brought that up in our previous conversation, but it really made me think is that, you know, you do have to know your strengths of your children. And that's one of the things that, you know, I think you'll hear me over and over again on these podcasts is it's really that start of getting your PhD in your child. Um, it's going to help frame every conversation and every decision on their whole journey as they, and wherever you're at, as they navigate, you know, success and, and where they end up being the best they that they can be. But one of the things that, you know, and I think Joel will laugh because he knew me, obviously, when, when Nathan first got diagnosed, and I'm a very extroverted person and very facial expressions. And so I think at first, I completely overwhelmed my child of just too much in his face. Well, why not? What's going on? And one of the things that Joel pointed out one time was there's, there has to be a delay. You know, so when you talk about putting something together and identifying what their strengths are, understand what your strengths and weaknesses are and how it affects them and be very objective about that because I used to talk too fast and I needed to give him moments to pause. And that was one thing that Joel would point out is like, he's got a slight delay. It's, it's hardly noticeable, but it's enough. You need to give him the space to answer. So really, really just to piggyback off what Joel's saying is having that space to identify their strengths, what their interests are, that's gonna keep them engaged. And then having that same responsibility for yourself. Yeah, and after you can identify those things, honestly, I think sometimes, and for some people, we kind of jumped into this a little too fast. It's, okay, you're home now, we're not sure what you're doing. Okay, now here's your school stuff, here's your laptop, good luck. And we, we didn't necessarily take the time to ease our kids into this transition. Hey, I'm going to sit down. Maybe it take, just takes sitting down with them a little bit. You know, hey, school's going to be, you know, 15 minutes a day online and then other stuff, or maybe half an hour or two hours, whatever it is. Did we take the time to actually sit down with our child to make sure that they know how to do it, make sure they have the space, make sure they know where they can charge their, uh, their computer or tablet or laptop? We, we really have to take the time to look at the supports they need to even just get started. When you show up at school the first day, the teacher tells you everything. Your first day of kindergarten, you come in, they tell you where to sit, 
what you're going to be doing. You have a visual schedule of the day. That visual schedule is, for the most part, followed. Um, they warn you before every transition. You have all these supports that are put into place by someone who has been trained to really walk through and use those supports. And then all of a sudden, we've placed these kids in a place where parents are sometimes struggling as much as the kids, but we're not allowed to show it. And we have to do our best not to show it. And that's hard. And I think it's important for us as parents to recognize that it's okay if it's tough. It's okay if you're struggling because this is something that people go to school for years to learn and then sometimes takes years in practice to learn. So as we kind of get them ready, we need to some, you know, even if it's just playing with them a little bit at first before we get into school, you know, building that relationship as guess what? I'm your parent and I'm partially your teacher now. You know, I'm the support aid. I'm, you know, whatever role that you have to play as a parent in this new environment, we have to look at that and we have to get them used to it. You know, I used to work with my parents at a flooring store and at work, I always thought it was funny. My sister would call my dad by his first name, but only at work. At work, he was Tony. He wasn't dad. And I think sometimes we, as parents, we have to wear those different hats, but we have to know when to take them off and when to put them on as well. And so, you know, we have to, in this case, we're going to be taking on some roles as a teacher. And, and as we do that, as we spend some time with them, we can look at those areas of need and really identify what skills need to be taught in this new environment. We have some kids where they have to relearn how to sit they have to learn where they can sit for long periods of time, whether or not it's okay to get up and go get a snack. You know, the rules might be a little different in distance learning than it is in your regular classroom. And for some of our kids, a little bit of flexibility in that actually can help. And other kids, they fall apart because there's not the structure or the accountability to that structure. So we really have to look again at kind of what are the areas of needs? Their IEP goals might not all be things that are important right now. We might have to relook at some of those goals that they have and say, you know, before we even get to this goal, we might have to reteach some prerequisite skills. That's so important. And, you know, and I was just sitting there thinking, because, you know, when you and I were talking before, it was about, you know, what is a parent going to have to take on? Um, and, and what position are they in? Are they working from home? Are both parents working? You know, the time factor is such a huge thing. And, it was interesting because I was very fortunate enough to have homeschooled Nathan last year and found that, you know, he was spending six and a half hours of school every day, three hours of homework every night. The kid was like, I hate school. Right. And, 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 he, and he would at that point, because it was so hard. It was so exhausting. It was so, so much to do. We found last year he was able to get all of his work done and he mainstreamed, kept up, was just doing amazing at maybe two, two and a half hours at the most a night or a day, or depending on how we did it. And then you and I were talking, Joel, about the study that you came across, I think when you were getting your master's or whatever you were kind of digging into at one point in time in your education that stated, and I can't remember, what was it again? It was, um, they did a, a very thorough study on the amount of active engagement of students in the classroom. And I'll, I'll look up the article and send it to you. I don't have it off the top of my head, but the, they basically found that Students are actively engaged in learning tasks 17% of their day. And what that means is basically out of a six-hour day, that's almost exactly one hour of active engagement. Now, there can be, um, they call it passive in engagement as well, where maybe you're just sitting there listening to something. But that really means the actual work that they're doing each day is approximately an hour a day. And so as parents, we think we have to fill six hours of intensive learning when none of us 
can really sit through that, let alone a child. I mean, you think about college, you go to a class for a couple hours, you might have a couple hours off, class for a couple hours, couple hours off, you know, throughout the whole week. A lot of college students, even taking full loads, don't go to class six hours straight, fully engaged every single day. And yet we expect this of our kids. If you think about it, school is almost a full-time job for kids. In fact, for some, it's more. Like you said, six hours of school plus three hours of homework, nine hours a day. And when in all reality, the active engagement is about one hour a day. And so if you can get one hour of solid learning, that's important. And there's um, the other thing about this too is if we actually want to look at learning, the learning process occurs in your brain, actually not while you're doing it, but during the breaks afterwards. Your brain uh, actually starts solidifying information when you take a break, and then when you sleep is when it actually kind of puts that more into the longer term memory storage. And right. so we're trying to fill their time with all of this doing and not giving them the breaks for it to actually sink in. I think that that is, I don't know about a lot of parents, but you know, for me, that makes me just like my shoulders go down and kind of woo, have a whoosh moment because it's so much responsibility. I mean, and you think I'm losing, I'm losing time, I'm losing time. And I think that's the biggest thing that I have felt as a parent, you know, in the over a decade of, you know, working with Nathan and, you know, you know, being that warrior that I need to be for him is that, you know, is it enough? And is it enough right now? And, you know, we have a different timetable, you know, everything changes, right? When we find out. And, you know, we just want to get them potty trained before kindergarten. I mean, it's all so different, right? And so when I heard that and him say that, I kind of chuckled because I'm like, well, that would have been nice before I went and homeschooled last year, you know, because I was hard on myself. But, you know, am I doing enough? Is he working enough? Because he was getting it at a much shorter amount of time. But what it really should give some insight to is, is all the parents that are trying to really own that right now is that it's not as big of a lift as I think you sometimes think. Not to say that there's not gonna be a lot of strategy and creativity and innovation on your end to really help gap fill and learn as much as you can. I think it also really requires that, you know, you really connect to people like Joel who are running, you know, programs for multiple schools and take that moment to go, okay, here's where I'm at. This is what I'm trying. What would you suggest? And maybe spending some of that distance learning, teaching yourself as much as we're wanting to teach our kids. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's again, learning for all of us. And the thing is too, is you can do other activities too. Like that's another thing to remember too, is, I mean, there hits this point in schooling, probably about fourth or fifth grade where you can kind of remember school's no longer fun anymore. Right. It's more just about learning, but it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And you might have a kid who's 12 years old or a kid who's four years old. And again, going back to the strengths and interests, making it fun is going to make it sink in better. So you know what? You can do your hour of hard stuff, but you can do another hour of let's watch uh, this Discovery Channel show on XYZ. You know, there are other things, there are games that you can play. There are, are movies you can rent. There are other ways that you can learn things that might actually help reiterate some of the things that you're trying to teach in the active engagement time. Um, one of the things that I've loved doing with my kids is um, honestly Sesame Street. You know, it's funny, you go back to the simple basics for the younger kids, you know, just giving them exposure to people who are acting calmly, who are having solid conversations about important topics and showing and learning letters, numbers, the basics. There are shows out there for older kids too that have important information 
uh, you know, tied up into a storyline, or maybe it is a documentary, but it's still going to be more enjoyable for half our kids than sitting down reading a book, you know? So there are other ways to supplement and help out with that too. And the other thing that's nice is if I set my three-year-old down in front of Sesame street and he can sit there for half an hour, he's still being taught and I can get something else done because we need that too as parents. Oh, I so agree. And I think that that was something that we talked a little bit about of, you know, obviously taking this on and then time and making sure that, you know, you can get your stuff done, you know, because our lives obviously don't stop when we become parents, they become a little bit, you know, bigger, of course, and, and a lot more joy and love. But, you know, we want to make sure that we give ourselves time and space to do what we need to do. And, and some of that comes with being creative and strategic. And, you know, looking at learning as learning, not as, oh, they passed this section, they got a good grade on a test. It's about, do they understand it? Can they talk about it? Can you have a conversation with them about it? Do they have an interest level in it? And those are the kind of things that when you start looking at education and maybe get away from just grades, but really look and focus in on what they know and what they learn, and then giving them that satisfaction and that you know, security that, gosh, I'm, I'm good at this and I know this. And, and that, that in and of itself is probably the biggest challenge in teaching. Wouldn't you think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think as teach, as parents, as we step in to do more of these teaching things, we also have to really look, we've really got to look at our environment now and say, how can we create an environment that is, that can create, allow for sustainable learning and also give us opportunities to really be teachers too. The classroom is now in our house, you know, is there a place that they can work? Is there a place that you can work? You know, again, this is, there's multiple people in this environment and, you know, we need to make sure that we're creating something that is sustainable for both us as parents and the kids. And so we really do have to look at now, what can we do? How can we change this environment? You know, do we need to get them a little table in their room or do we need to, you know, clear out the kitchen for them to do their work in there? And when they're doing schoolwork, I go in the other room. You know, we have to look at, you know, the environment that we have now and the house is now a lot of people um, have a home office, but we don't have home classrooms. And right now, that's something that we really have to create for our kids is a home classroom. And sometimes it's repurposing an existing room or adding some furniture to another or just simply making sure that they have time and place for what they need and that we also have a time and place for what we need. So, you know, we really need to look at how we can make these changes in our environment that really help accommodate our kids. Um, in classrooms, we you know, on, on IEPs, we actually write in accommodations. You know, how many parents have actually taken a chance to go back and look through those on the IEP? You know, it's super important for us to, you know, ask ourselves, if, you know, do I want him to succeed? And if he's going to succeed, how did he or she succeed in the past? Well, those accommodations are a big part of it. I think that that's so important. I mean, and just to kind of sum up, I think what we've talked about, you know, it really going in and looking at a behavior support plan. Um, looking at what physically and infrastructurally you need in your home to designate that area, that space and time um, for your child that they can count on, that they know it's think time, that it's play time. Um, and as a parent, sometimes that that's hard, right? Because we tend to enable our kids a little bit too. And so we've got to be very objective about how we're setting this up, what we need to accomplish, the accountabilities and expectations that we put in place. And of course, we want to have fun doing it. We're going to get the most from our kids that way. But that there's also a responsibility at that as well. And I think by 
doing what you know Joel is really laying out where you put a behavior support plan in place, you do the physical pieces of it, you look at the infrastructure, you look at the IEP, and you look at what accommodations, because that's gonna tell you that in that classroom setting that we used to have, they needed this. How can we accommodate that in your house? How can you set that up? And then again, it's the consistency, right? You know, that's one thing about our kids is that they want control. I think that control element that they need and want is sometimes to keep a lot of the other noise in their head away um, as they deal with sensory issues and kind of managing and trying to focus um, and however that impacts your child, you know, doing these things is so, so important. I think secondly, spending the time to connect with the teachers. They know a lot about what needs to happen and sometimes what has been helpful in class. And that is a class structured environment that you're now trying to duplicate in your home. And so really making that kind of that conversation, bringing that teacher, the therapist, whoever it is that you have in your circle and that you're asking and wanting to be a part of your village, letting them play a part for you and, and helping set that up because it's all about success measures and it's all about making sure that your child feels like they are really good at what they do. And just to digress for a moment because it's such an important thing for me is that I've always wanted Nathan to be able to walk into a room and you know chest high, and shoulders up and, and really know that he's good at really some amazing things and that he's strong and he's secure. And we as parents are the ones that are gonna help identify that and find that. And we have an amazing opportunity with our homeschooling opportunity now to find those things and even get more of our PhD in our kids, which is what this whole series is about. And you're gonna know your child best and better than anyone else. And you should always walk into the room as the Joan of Arc character that nothing is decided unless you have said yes, because you know them the best. So this is a perfect opportunity for us to see more of those things once that infrastructure, expectations, and really that accountability that is on both your child and yourself is put in place. Wouldn't you agree, Joel? Yeah, I think that's incredibly important for us. Uh, I mean, you're, you are your child's first and best advocate. And in order to be so, we do need to know our children. We do need to understand them. And we need to know the things that set them off and the things that make them proud. And we need to know the things that they like, the things that they dislike. And we also, though, need to be able to really search for that beautiful space between something that is too easy for them and something that makes them too anxious or is too difficult for them. Because all of us need to be pushed just a little bit if we're going to learn and if we're going to grow. And so it is a hard balance to find. As a parent, you are the life sustainer when it comes to food. You're the one who makes them go to bed to get the sleep they need. You're the person who, you know, provides for them um, financially. You also provide for them when they're sick. You know, you are all those things to them. And if we're now giving you one more thing to do as a parent, which is we need you to be part of the teaching staff now too and we do we have to know our kids but you got to remember too what after your kid's done with high school you're the only teacher left yeah that's going to be around right yeah. school ends eventually whether it's at high school college whatever and we have different teachers every year you're the one long-term you know sustained person in that in their life and if they have siblings you know as well but that's our role as parents is we are all those things. There's the joke about someone who is, you know, just a stay at home mom, right? You know, 
That means she's the accountant. She's the, uh, the person who does the logistics. She's, you know, all these things you do when you are quote, just a parent, right? Well, those things continue as your kids get older. When your kids are in college, they're still going to call you. When they're adults, they're still going to call you, you know, and if the more you build the relationship, the more you understand and know them, the more answers you can help them to find. And the goal for all of us is to have our kids succeed in whatever areas they can. And that's where parenting turns into mentoring. So we're parenting parents first, we're teachers, we're mentors, you know, and I think it's important for us to keep that in mind that we are going to wear all these hats. We are this person for our children. And sometimes that means we need a break from them as well. So, you know, you do need, <laughs> do need your breaks, of course. But yeah, I, I think, again, for me, it comes back to just kind of this simple idea of if we're looking at a change of environment and a change of, you know, everything, how can we support that change in behavior for them? And, you know, following those steps, taking time to just sit back and watch sometimes, you know, allows you to see how things can go. You want to give them independence. You know, another thing that's hard is you got to be a helicopter parent, but then you got to leave sometimes, you know, you don't want to be the helicopter parent all the time. You know, we have to be able to fade back those accommodation and interventions eventually too. Our eventual goal is for independence for our kids. So yes, we want to be pushing and teaching and helping. And at some point we have to ask the question, okay, how can I step back? How can I teach them to learn on their own? What steps can I take to instill this idea of being a lifelong learner in my child? Absolutely. Um, you know, and you talk about learning and one of the things that you and I were talking about, I think earlier in another conversation was, um, you know, being creative about where we find our kids' strengths and how we kind of assess. And you had brought up about um, how he was making up, I think, rap songs um, or something to the effect of how he was able to interpret the information he knew. And I think creativity is so incredibly important when we look at education. I think, you know, my son doesn't like to write, so I have him do talk to text. You know, I, I, I don't want to stifle his, his growth and his education or get to a point where he feels like, oh my gosh, it's going to take me so long to write it. We've lost the whole intention. But you had mentioned something um, about, I think, one of the, the kids that you worked with. And if you could just relay that, because I think it's so critical about how he was able to be successful and feel successful, but it was is done differently as we kind of navigate with these parents, you know, a different way to teach. Yeah. And, and we think of teaching as being the paper and pencil, reading a book, right? The textbook your teacher gives you, it sits on your desk. You pull out your pencil, your lined paper, you take notes. And that's what we call learning. But learning... And especially after we get out of school, looks nothing like that. What learning looks like to me now is I listen to a podcast while I run, or I listen to a uh, um, an audiobook while I run. I do most of my reading now while I'm running, um, and then right before bed. Um, and our, for our kids, there's no reason why we can't make accommodations as well. You know, um, yeah, I've had a kid who's really interested in, in hip hop and wanted nothing more to, than to show everyone his, uh, his rap songs. And so, you know, why can't you teach history then by having him write a rap song? In fact, if you have seen Hamilton, which by the way is amazing, the entire thing is basically one long rap song about history. You know, and so why can't our kids be learning in that manner that most excites them and presenting in that manner? I agree. I think that, you know, and Joel, you and I've like laughed about it too. It's, you know, Nathan and I do acting. So we act out history scenes, 
you know, and it gets sometimes violent. I mean, not to each other, but, you know, sometimes it gets a little, you know, crazy, but it's whatever it takes for them to, to understand and to learn. Right. And so, you know, we talk about thinking outside the box and figuring it out for our kids. And you're navigating down this space right now, whether you wanted to or not with COVID-19, you're becoming an educator and you're a parent and you're trying to be their best friend sometimes and all these different things and trying to play that role. And what I will say is creativity is key. Um, and the more you have knowledge about your child, the more you have your PhD and what you know and what they connect to and how they learn is so important um, because just learning things to box check it isn't what's going to get them where they need to go. And I think that the more creative we are and the more that you use what you already know is to your benefit. And so I think that one of the things that I found so exciting was when Nathan and I were trying to learn just for an example about the Declaration of Independence. How did it get to that point? Why was it so bad? You know, what was going on? And we acted out you know, some of the Englishmen coming in and taking over a house because, well, they just wanted to live there. And we got like, you know, really into the characters and nobody could sleep on their beds anymore. And his eyes were just as huge as they could be. And I didn't read it in the book. We didn't sit down and take notes and go over vocab. And I'm not saying that that's not important, but what I needed to do was get him engagement. What I needed to do was, you know, lay that platform down. So they understood what was going on. He understood relationships and he owns it now right? So we've got to be strategic. And as you navigate down this path of becoming sometimes their main teacher and us talking about the fact that you could probably do it in an hour, an hour and a half, maybe two hours. So you don't need to panic that they're not learning enough because you haven't spent all day with them, but know your child, know their points of interest. How can you relate a song that they listen to on another TV show with some learning? I mean, this is where it becomes fun, right? And it's about learning, not time. Did you spend enough time reading? Did you spend enough time doing that? That's not what we need to do. And I think that the whole point of this and kind of how we landed on this conversation with our kids is that we are taking a more active role and we're kind of thrown into it. And some of us weren't ready. And now we're trying to teach and not lose time. And I think that is the biggest fear a lot of us have in trying to just keep up. Um, when we do have children that can keep up, um, and not all of them can, right? But when they can, it's like, how, how do I do that? And now you're relying on me and, and really making sure that we reach out to those resources we still have, like people like Joel that are in the school districts that are willing to help and, and want to give you know, strategies and ideas and still work one-on-one -on -one with kids. And so that's why we felt like it was so important to have this conversation today and to kind of start you know, this, this whole transition of getting your PhD in your child discovering their talents and their strengths. How do we use them in that education place? Because you change teachers every year with your kids. I don't know about a lot of you that are maybe listening to this, but what I found was it took me two or three months to train every new teacher to get to know him, to understand what he was, you know, good at, where he struggled, what was the, you know, and it was just, it was really exhausting. And then I lost sometimes three months every year, right? So we're, we're looking at this transition and working with our kids and trying to figure out what works best for them, what's expected, what do they need to know at the end of the year? Do they need to do 5,000 papers or is it maybe three or four and then they have it? You know, it's, it's that whole conversation. And that's why I wanted Joel to be in, in this with us because he was there for Nathan when Nathan wasn't talking. And now sometimes I can't get him to stop. 
And, you know, he's done extremely well and it's been a lot of work. And um, now we're going through this big change with COVID-19 and how school is. And so I, I really am thankful, you know, for the time that, you know, Joel and I have had on the phone that we've been able to talk to you. Um, and hopefully we'll be doing this again because there's many more things that as he and I start talking, our brains just keep going in different directions. But one of the things that um, I wanted to kind of, of end on is, you know, if there was one thing that you could say was your gift to kids on the spectrum and kids that struggle with this, what would that be, Joel? Probably it's going to sound kind of funny, but um, my ability to just be present. Um, when I was a senior in high school, I was in band. And um, as a senior, you're supposed to be, you know, the star drummer, drummer, the number one person. Well, I didn't do um, marching band. I was in concert band and only. And so because of that, even though at the time I was one of the best drummers, I got crash cymbals because I wasn't part of the squad. Everyone else had everything assigned during the year. And so I, as a senior in high school, got to go to band for an hour and a half every day and crash cymbals like five times. And I learned that I could either hate this and just, you know, get through it, or I could sit down and actually appreciate the music. And when you're playing Crash Cymbals, what you do is you spend most of your time sitting and listening and counting and listening and then crash, and then you will count again. And what I learned was if I'm gonna make this worthwhile, I need to be present. And I, that was one of the most important things for me to learn in life, because especially today with all the social media, all the media period, COVID-19, all these things going on. And yet here we are, most of us were able to stay at home with our kids for the first time in some of our lives, people aren't judging us for staying at home <laughs> with our kids. And we have an opportunity to be present, but we have to tune out all of those things. And I think that one of my biggest gifts, and I think the, biggest things for us to learn as parents is how to be present. Um, there's a song by Jeremy Camp called Keep Me in the Moment. And that's, I think what we need to do is when it, you're there with your kid, be with them. You know, it's okay to look silly. It's okay if you don't even get everything right. Sometimes you might spend half an hour and your kid throws a tantrum the whole time, you know, but you got through that and there's always tomorrow. And so each time, each day, if we can be in the moment, and be really thinking about what can I do right now to make a difference? Sometimes you have to take things day by day or moment by moment. And that's how you get through these things. And that's how you come out the side, other side better than where you started. I love that. I absolutely love that. I think that, you know, one of the things that is just really resonating with me is, you know, thinking about how we can connect um, how we take those moments where we get into that space. You know, you look at it, it's, it's almost like looking at education differently. And, and you were saying that and my head kind of went somewhere else and I just wanted to share because I think it's important is our kids learn differently. It doesn't need to be at a desk with a piece of paper, even though there's certain, you know, compliance that has to happen as kids go to school, right? But our school's a little bit different now, so maybe we can work on some different things. You know, it could be on the floor, you know, counting cars, it can be out at the grocery store, you know, doing different things. You know, it's, it's looking at education is not sometimes the formality that we, maybe a lot of us grew up with, but really to seek education and learning. And, and so I think we have great opportunity at this time to one, see our kids more, to help them more and really get through this time with gains, 
um, and really making big steps forward for what we want to do um, for our kids. And so I wanted to say thank you to Joel for being on on this with me. Um, Joel came into our life um, and I have to just give him a little plug um, <laughs> a long time ago um, when I was trying to figure things out um, and sat on the couch and with, you know, hand, um, my your hand holding my head, trying to, oh my gosh, understand my son's not verbal. Now I can't get him to stop talking. But at the time, and Joel sat on the couch with me and we strategized, we changed program. We did things that Nathan was responsive to. And so the one thing that I really got from Joel was creativity. Um, creativity can breed outcomes. It can allow you to see your child more clearly and, and to see what's important to them, which was the foundation for me getting my PhD in Nathan and knowing how he thinks and how he, how he loves and how he, he looks at the world. Um, and I'm so forever thankful. And so Joel is by far one of my favorite people. And I'm so thankful to have him on this podcast with us and hopefully for future ones as well. Um, so I thank you for um, helping my family and making my life amazing and being there at critical times. And um, you made a difference. And I hope that we on this can make a difference for all of you listening. It's toolbox time on ASD Warrior. Here's just something a little extra on ASD Warrior. We created from our conversation a behavior support plan goal sheet that we've attached to this podcast. Um, you'll have access to it as well if you subscribe at asdwarrior.com. Just something a little extra to make some of this transition a little easier. Hope you enjoy. Hope it works. And always remember, we're never being tested. We're always being trusted. God bless. Thank you for listening to ASD Warrior. For more information and resources, please connect with us at asdwarrior.com. Subscribe and become a member of the ASD Warrior Village. Together, we can do more.